Hello, everybody, and welcome back to our podcast on Mute Now, Season 5, Episode 5. We've been doing well, and we're glad that you've been keeping us company. If you're new, you're very welcome. Again, I have to remind you that we are missing Raquel, 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 and we're missing Natasha today. But with me as co-host, we've got Angela. And we've got with us today two exciting guests. First, the lone gentleman, Dr. Daniel Bulletin. He's a consultant with the Trust NHS, as you know. Um, and Dr. Hi. Dan, <laughs> lovingly, well, for me, lovingly Dr. Dan, but Dr. Daniel. And alongside Dr. Dan today, we've got Rasheen Hillman. Hi, Rasheen. Rasheen is the founder of the Menopause Support Group Northern Ireland, so that gives it away. We're going to be talking about mental health and menopause today. Again, back to where we started in terms of the context. If you remember, in October 2022, we had our Leveling Up Symposium where we provided the community with a lot of information on various topics, including mental health. If you haven't watched our presentations on our various channels, please do so because Dr. Dan delivered a very informative presentation on mental health as it relates to the BAME community. I know some people hate that term BAME, but you know, ethnic minority community and mental health in that context. So we've got Dr. Dan today, and I say this reservedly, in the wake of Nicola Bully's death, um, with utmost sensitivity to her family and to all those who would have been impacted, we're gonna be looking at menopause and it's, context or its relation to mental health so bear with us and please 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 share your comments so without any further ado let's go straight into it <laughs> mouthful for Shane please tell us a bit about yourself and the work that you do okay so my name is Roisin Hillman and I am the founder of Menopause Support Group Northern Ireland um, I suppose I set the group up after I had a hysterectomy. So I had a hysterectomy in the May of 2021 and was lying on my settee, as you do when you're recovering from major surgery, scrolling through social media and had found on a post that Davina McCall had put on that she was asking um, for people to fill in a survey. So I thought I'm going to fill this survey in, you know, because it was about menopause and, you know, everything surrounding that. So I started to do the survey, but it was only for people in mainland England. Oh, and I put a comment underneath it. Well, what about the women from Northern Ireland? What about us? <laughs> and another woman commented underneath it saying, I'm from Northern Ireland too. Why can't we fill it in? So me and this lady started like um, commenting and then we ended up uh, talking privately. Wow. So this was about two o'clock in the morning <laughs> and um, <clears throat> she'd say, I'd say, tell her like, I can't find anything. There's no support groups. I was already a member of a hysterectomy support group, a Facebook group, but there was nothing, you know, that I could find in Northern Ireland. And I had asked her if she would help me if I set up a Facebook group. And she was like, no, <laughs> no, I couldn't. I don't know how to do anything like that. So no, I couldn't. So as went to bed and had thought about could I do it myself but then you always have the self-doubt oh. and you always have what are people going to think about me 
they're going to be going, who does she think she is? What does she know about uh, it? But they do, oh, you know, and yeah. you have that in your, yeah. as you know, Doctor, that you can have all them, you know, the self-doubt and that you're not able to do things. And then another lady had put a beautiful quote on Facebook that I had seen the next morning and it was about not dying with your music still in you. Aww. And I was like, oh my goodness, like that's, I, love I that. have this, I have this I and I want to share that. Yeah. So that day I started a Facebook group. Um, and you're how many women strong so today? So at the minute we just have 5,500 women. 2021 you started. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. amazing. And I have joined the group. Yes. <laughs> and here's where the conversation gets a bit awkward. <laughs> I have been saying this. Perhaps if you watched an episode that we had way back in season three, where we talked about aging gracefully. And one of the things that I threw into that discussion was looking forward to menopause. But lo and behold, in hindsight, that probably was a very insensitive statement because having been a member of this group for a very short time and having looked at some of the comments and some of the struggles and some of the, the, the impact, so to speak, when you're in that stage of menopause, or what's the correct term? Yeah, perimenopause. Uh, perimenopause. Then to me, it is almost like scary. Mm. <laughs> I, think, I think what it is and what I've learned from I started the group was it's the fear of the unknown mm. because there is no awareness raising out there about menopause. Our GPs aren't trained in menopause. <laughs> The the trust. Days, you know, they don't they don't do the training. Mm. So when a woman goes to the doctor with her symptoms and this happened to me personally, I was told to write through it. To do what? To write, just write through just it. Just write it. Just write through it. No yes. big deal. You know, what and I you know, I had it like different I was I had itchy skin. That was mm. the reason that I went. Mm. Um and he was very blase about it. And talking about symptoms, um, Rasheen, I don't really want to throw you in the deep here, but I've seen some things and I'm thinking unbelievable. Like I've seen the fact that you can lose your teeth. I've seen things where people are saying that they have sleepless nights and I'm thinking, oh my God, come on this, now. This is usually the start off and it is a woman will probably wake up in the middle of the night um, and it is the lack of sleep. And then she maybe we would have in, um, night sweats and that's usually the start of her real and she doesn't really realize it's usually the people around her who can see the change. There's just something different. Maybe she's a wee bit more snappier. You know, there's just the different things that happen. And it's usually your loved ones who would see yeah, that first yeah. because you're struggling and you're you're working, you're looking after children, you're maybe looking after older relatives, you know, so you've... You don't actually notice necessarily what's happening you to don't you. Realize. Right? Yeah. At what stage, roughly, and I know it varies for different women, but when we're talking about perimenopause, yep. that sort of getting into yep. it, right? What sort of, what's the earliest sort of stage that you're aware of? Um, oh, right, well, so there's some women who can go into perimenopause um, it's called, I oh, can't remember, the POI. So it's an earlier stage. So that yeah. would be where you, the doctors would have to really look after you with that. But for women who don't have any issues, you know, just normal women, just like ourselves, um, it's usually around the age of 45 is whenever you become <laughs> perimenopausal. And if you go to your GP with those symptoms of perimenopause, so if, and you're 45 and you go with, I'm not sleeping, I've sore joints, yeah. I've itchy skin, 
Now we have dry vagina, you know, there's a whole myriad of symptoms. But if you go to your doctor with these, then if your doctor is trained They'll to recognize to it, they will be able to say to you, mm. it looks like you're maybe at perimenopause instead of sending you for 20 million. Right. Well, at least I'll be asking them, am I perimenopausal? Because I've learned a few things. Before we get to Dr. Dan, you talked very quickly. I, I think, let me come in briefly. I mean, yes, Dr. Dan, thank you. Certainly, I mean, I think, I don't think any man can adequately share or our understanding of, of menopause because of our sex yeah. or, or of, of our gender. Yeah. Um, and, and therefore, I wouldn't pretend that I have any in-depth experience. And my training, even as a psychiatrist, does not delve into the details of any of these subjects. Yeah. So much more, I'm not surprised that you know, primary care GP average physicians seems not to have that adequate knowledge um, but I think some of the things you've shared and not, I hope, um, you know, my own wife um, who started going into, you know, those perimenopausal symptoms. I think looking back, I would say were some of the most horrendous experiences oh that you could be confronted with. Mm. And, and my heart goes out to her and, you know, especially the lack of sleep was a profound and very significant issue. And, and therefore, if you're somebody like her who really enjoyed prolonged sleep, and <laughs> sleep I don't know how you, could, how you cope with that. You know, so just a thought on my own personal yeah. experience. And, and thank you, know, you for chipping that in, because I think what we also need to think about, of course, is um, the experience of women themselves, yeah. but also the experience of yeah. the, the families and those yeah. closest yeah. to them and what that does to the dynamics yeah, and that, that's the important thing that with the group, you know, yes, it, it, the group is a closed group and it is only for women. Um, no men. The, the can't be because it, it has to be a really, really safe, it has to be a safe space where women can share everything and know that there's not going to be, that they're not going to be judged or feel that they can't, you know, because I know when, for me personally, when women come together, and this is one of my taglines. When women come together, amazing things happen. Mm. You know, we're, we all support, empower, yeah. and encourage each other. Yeah. But I am a, a great believer that men have to come to the table too. Yeah. And men have to be educated in this and have an understanding that whenever their wives aren't the way they were, oh, yeah. that it's not because they don't love them anymore. It's not because they don't want to have sex with them anymore. Their body, the woman's body is just totally changing yeah. and they just need a wee bit of time, Absolutely. you know, so, but some men don't who maybe aren't educated in it, which yeah. the women aren't educated in it, so far can the men be, you know, just don't have that understanding. Yeah. So it's important that there is more awareness raising. Yeah, I am paying my GP a visit. I think I'm there listening to you. Some <laughs> of the symptoms. <laughs> Anyway, um, you mentioned something very, uh, a, a couple of minutes ago about the whole idea, well, not the idea, the, 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 the condition of being snappy, for want of a better word. And I really just want to zero in on that a little bit in terms of the impact of menopause on the person's mental health. Because we mentioned Nicola Bully briefly. And so mental health in itself and the impact from your experience, what have you seen? And then Dr. Dan will then be talking to you generically about mental health within the context of your work. But, but uh, machine and thoughts? I suppose a lot of women, I suppose whenever they go to the doctor first, 
you know, with, without even thinking it's perimenopause and they'll go to the doctor and they'll say, my mood's low, that's a sign of perimenopause. I'm not sleeping at night, you know, I'm feeling really anxious, you know, I don't know what it is, I'm really, really anxious and I just can't tell you what, why I'm feeling like this. Everything's okay in my life, but of all these issues, and instead of the doctor asking the woman, is there anything else going on? You know, any other symptoms? They'll focus in on them and they're prescribing antidepressants. Mm. And if you go to the NICE guidelines, you will see that antidepressants should not be prescribed um, for perimenopausal symptoms. You know, you need to get, <clears throat> excuse me, you need to be getting um, HRT if you're able to take HRT or your doctor needs to be talking to you about different things that you can do to promote like good health. Okay, right. Okay, well, Dr. Dan, um, going back to the symposium, as I said earlier, you would have done a very informative presentation on mental health and, you know, the context of the BME community within that. So if you can just shed a bit of light for us today on some of the barriers overall that you would see in terms of access to services when it comes to the BME community, that would kind of anchor the conversation in a different way. Yeah, no, thank you very much, Yolande. Um, even before I come to the barriers, I think in my discussion at, at the last, at the educative, education session of the symposium, I think I tried to kind of understand or present an understanding of mental health difficulties of the ethnic minorities uh, with an analogy of the greenhouse. <laughs> yes. Okay. And um, if you take the greenhouse, greenhouse is normally used to grow crops or cultivate crops that are not in their natural environment. Yeah. And for those crops to thrive, you need, you know, a well-controlled environment with well-managed resources yeah. which are managed at the microscopic details okay now for my understanding of the health issues or mental health issues not just health mental health can be likened to the greenhouse effect that people who have moved away from their own environment living in a different culture you know need the most support in a yeah. well-managed controlled stage or phase to be able to thrive Okay, and that is kind of my understanding. So that on its own gives you an impression of some of the things that, you know, the m minority groups struggle with on a day-to-day basis. Because if you take a greenhouse which has been cultivated, the, the owners are managing these things at a very kind of detailed level. Yeah. But you just thrown in here with, that, with the lack of adequate support and no wonder you can see the myriads or the multiple, you know, health, general health, as well as mental health concerns that come with the BMA group. Mm -hmm. So in terms of, of, um, of the barriers, I look at the barriers in kind of two broad perspectives. There are barriers that I'll call are inherent within the BMA group themselves, or the yeah. people who are suffering from all of this, and then the barriers that are outside of them. Okay, mm -hmm. so within the group itself, the people who have immigrated or migrated into this environment, one we come with a lot of, you know, cultural, you know, 
difficult or cultural prejudices. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, some of those cultural difficulties themselves present as a barrier. For example, in most minority groupings, mental health or mental illness is a, it's a taboo subject. Yeah, in itself. Yeah. You don't talk about it. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, you know it, it's like, it's a, yeah, uh, the simple word is it's a taboo subject. Yeah. So people go through, you know, the early onset of mental difficulties with, with just suffer, suffer in silence. Yeah. You don't want your, your friends to know, you don't want your neighbors to know, you don't want anybody to know. So by the time that it is presenting, it would have gone on so far yeah. and become okay. a very severe presentation. So that I think is one of the biggest barriers okay. that, that yeah. we present with, you know. So that is a barrier. Then the other barrier is the lack of understanding of, of the health services or, or, or pathway to getting help yeah. within, within the culture, you know. That is also a significant barrier. Okay, so you don't even know what resources are there. You don't know what services are there, and therefore, if you don't know what is there, how do you go on looking for help? Yeah. Okay, even if you get to know, oftentimes language is a major barrier as well. Yeah. You know, and you know the language, and I I always have this um, funny bit of me trying to get used to the Northern Ireland accent, as, <laughs> <laughs> you know, as, 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 they, as they call it, you know. It took me years being here to be able to, to appreciate or to understand, you know, and it, it works both ways. Both ways, yeah, it works, absolutely. It works both ways. Absolutely. So language is also a major, you know, barrier in, in, in that context. So those are some of the And inherent... just not to cut you off, when yeah, you talk yeah. about accent, even though we acknowledge that there's work that's being done, for example, interpreters within the trust, interpreters can't really interpret accent. <laughs> so that that's barrier true. is still there. And we do acknowledge as well that there are quite a lot of support services out there trying to direct you know, newcomers to the right resources. So we do acknowledge that. Yeah. And so we know that there's work being done, yeah. but we are still looking at the barriers that exist. Yeah. yeah. So okay. that is very true. Yeah. Yes. Okay. So then you, we move on to the barriers. So barriers within the people themselves, mm -hmm. and then are the barriers external to the people. And I talk about the lack of knowledge of the services, you know, and then, you know, that similarly, the language barriers. You know, and it worked both ways. So, um, so those will be barriers within a people. Then, when you take outside of the people, similarly, the services are usually designed to meet. You know, the people who work within the service, mm. their understanding of the service is tailored to meet the needs of the local population. The majority. So, trying yeah. to understand, you know, your need in the context of that becomes also, you know, a barrier. Yeah. Then there's also a huge issue of stigma to the um, ethnic minorities in terms of presentation of mental health, you know, mm. issues. Not just not just stigma against minorities, but mental health even within the the the, the standard population, there is a huge issue of stigma, you know, you know, mm -hmm. re relating yeah. relating to it, you know, and stigma, you know is hugely important. Now, that aspect of stigma, you know, 
one trying to, um, let me put it this way. The average individual who is a minority um, coming into a general mental health service, struggling to understand some of these issues themselves, being confronted or going into you know, um, a health setting where people don't understand general symptoms of presentation, okay, um, becomes a barrier, okay. Yeah. Then there is the issue of transcultural understanding of symptoms, okay. Way back home, we say there are, you know, depression back home can present in a different way, you know. Like somebody will start talking about um, main symptoms of depression will be just, you know, having burning sensations in the head or burning sensation in the body. That's different from the menopausal bit, yeah, as you yeah, described. Yeah. Okay. And therefore, when out, out, you know, out of the cultural environment, you start going to talk about this to the person who is giving you the help, for them, this can become a physical, yeah. physical mm -hmm. symptom. Yeah. And therefore, that takes them off course. Okay. You know, so interpretation of symptom can be a barrier. Understanding of the symptom by the, the, the providers can be a difficulty. And then also the services being set up, you know, in, you know, in such a way that you know access to them, you have to go through many routes, many <laughs> systems to be able to access all of this. Yeah. Can all okay. become barriers. Those are a few, you know, yeah. and if we can talk okay. about well, some yeah. of them. Thanks so, for so sharing just, those. Just, just, just a quick thought. I know that um, there was a book that was written by um, a young guy who um, was studying, a medical student, who was studying and he was finding that all of the examples that they were using for identifying symptoms, um, so to the color of the skin changing, I can't remember the name of this young man, um, just didn't apply yeah. to black people yeah. because you know it looked different. And so he <clears> set <throat> about writing, um, doing some research and sort of putting together essentially a manual, which I believe is now in use, um, to identify and translate those symptoms in you know people of color. Um, I guess my, my thought is just looking at from the mental health perspective. I mean, what you've just said is pretty profound, which is that if depression is presenting as burning sensations yeah. in the body, very different to I've got no, I, I, you know, my mood is low yeah. and so on. Is there room, is there scope, is there anything at all in the horizon for trying to translate the sort of symptoms that you're seeing from the majority population for the effort minority population in the mental health um, field. Yeah. No, thank you very much for that for that question. And it, my thought on that is that over time, the Royal College of Psychiatrists is focusing on transcultural psychiatry more and more, and mm. therefore the knowledge base is beginning to expand. Recently, about um, three years ago, uh, the college, the black and you know black african um psychiatrists within the uk we have just established you know what we call the abp association of black psychiatrists within the uk and we are now working to 
to kind of expand the knowledge base and understanding of transcultural psychiatrists and the difficulties of minorities presented with mental health concerns. Mm -hmm. you know, so these are all things that are you know, gradually growing to interest you to know that even though we are a very young group, we have the, f the first black woman you know, president of the College of Psychiatrists <laughs> well, oh, who has well just done. been appointed, you know, and we've been in existence for just about three, four years now, you know, mm. and that is significant. So as a culture or as a, as a specialty, knowledge about this is improving. We are getting support to kind of expand the knowledge base and educate ourselves and, you know, work with the local population to help understand and expand the knowledge on some of these issues as you've asked. Okay. Well, just to move the conversation back to you, um, Rasheen, a little bit. The whole context of mental health being taboo and in terms of the ethnic minority community and throwing menopause on top of that is double whammy. So for me, I want to ask you what, if any, is work that you've done with women from the ethnic minority community have you done any such work um if not what are some of the barriers you know potentially that you might experience in working with women from the ethnic minority community what's your what are your thoughts so suppose i do have experience of working with women from different cultures um so i worked in a women's aid refuge and during that time you had women from every culture coming in you know so you were experiencing you know, different cultures and talking to women. Um, I worked um, with the Syrian refugees. So again, a totally different culture. Um, and it wasn't, I suppose, until I had an understanding of menopause. In terms of menopause discussion. That's interesting because I suppose some of the barriers would be religious, you know, backgrounds and religious um, context. Yeah, so the women good. would have said, you know, when they got to a certain age, you know, I'm just waiting for God, you know, and my life is over now, you know, and I'd have been like, you're younger than me. No, 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 we can't be talking about this, you know. Obviously, I'm not medically trained and I would never have said to any woman, oh, you could be menopausal, but on reflection, a lot of the health issues that the ladies would have presented with probably were perimenopausal issues. So <clears throat> what I'm doing is at the minute, I'm planning to do an awareness raising session with the Syrian women. Um, and that'll be done over Zoom because the women are all over Northern Ireland and it means that we can have that conversation. So the presentation that I have done, the PowerPoint is getting translated into Arabic for them. Um, <clears throat> next week, yeah, next week I'm going to do an event with um, another group of ethnic minority women and we will need an interpreter for that as well. So I've got a friend who can do that for me. Um, so it is getting out there. We don't have a lot of women from ethnic minorities on the group. I have never counted, but for me, it's it's about a, it's woman. You know, it's just women coming together. I don't care where you're from, who you are, what you do. You know, I just want all of us to be together. But it's getting out there into the different communities in Northern Ireland to say, I'm here. You know, we're here. Come, come on in. Yeah. You know, and nobody's ever going to, you'll be welcomed, doesn't matter where you're from. Rasheen, so I'm throwing you in the deep end here because I know we didn't talk about your personal background in yeah. the beginning, but I'm interested now just thinking of it. What is your cultural heritage? Sorry, guys, I had to do this. I had to do this. <laughs> you can't just have that nice curly hair. 
love that. That's not fair. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, that's fine. Um, I suppose I was born um, in 1968 in Belfast. My dad was across the road during Queen's University, so he was here from Nigeria <laughs> studying. My sister. <laughs> so he was studying in um, Niger or he was studying in Queens and met my mum, and yeah, so yeah, they got together and had me, and then my brother came along a few years later. So there's me and my brother, um, yeah, here. So that's that's my, and I suppose I do have my dad did give me and my brother our Nigerian names. So really, yes. Yeah, so my my. I've got my, my Belfast accent, so I probably <laughs> just pronounce it totally wrong, you know. So my Nigerian name is Ngozi Anik. Ah, ah yeah, love Ngozi. Love it. Yeah, I know, as long as I Well done. All right, guys. That was so we're coming to the end. We're just going to have just one more question I want to just throw up to both um, Dr. Dan and Rashane. Rashane, you can go first because you're already on the floor. In terms of, you know, menopause, and women and the impact of menopause, what are some of the coping mechanisms that you perhaps would remember, would recommend from your experience? So for women to remember that you're not alone because when a woman starts her perimenopausal journey, she really feels alone. And from the groups that we do within the, the group, you know, we would go out on the road, women will come in to wherever we're holding a meeting and they'll say, I, I'm so glad to be here because I really felt that I was on my own um, because it's not talked about. Um, so coming together, that's the most important thing and knowing that you're not alone on this journey and you have to educate yourself so much because the reason you have to do it is because our some of our health professionals aren't doing it. Get it, I'm like, up to that. <laughs> no, no, you know, no, you know, and I get it's general practitioners. Yes, a doctor absolutely. cannot be trained in absolutely everything, yeah, you know, so we understand that. But you as a woman, you need to take responsibility for your health. Yeah. You need to read the nice guidelines. You need to join Dr. Louise Newson's balance up. You know, you need to be listening to the, her podcast. There's so many things that you can do. And once you start understanding it, and knowing that this journey too will end, mm -hmm. it's not going to keep going, you know, and you can get the help and the support. But coming together as women and just finding your community and your supports. I think I've shared this before on the last podcast, if I remember correctly. I have got um, an uncle who is younger than I am. And my grandmother calls him the miracle baby. And this is one of my greatest fear because he was born at the point where she thought she was over yeah. menopause. It was a serious shock. You could imagine what that would have done to someone's mental health at that age, at that time in your life. And that is probably my biggest fear. When I think it's done, here comes a miracle baby. No, thank you. Dr. Dan, over to you. Okay. Over to you on some of the cool So Yolanda, at what age did that happen? She was going to be, if I remember correctly, close to 60. Wow. Yeah. So he is younger than I am. Ah, yeah. yeah. Miracle baby. And a probably good miracle because he is a pastor today. Maybe God, <laughs> God wanted that young man. <laughs> that was one for you, Angela. <laughs> 
as a nice <laughs> one. Yeah. Thank you, right. Dr. Dan. So just in terms of, you know, bringing us to a close, just talk about some of the coping mechanisms yeah. in dealing with mental health difficulties in general. Yeah. No, thank you very much. Um, even before I come to the, you know, coping mechanisms, there was one big barrier that I thought I need to mention, you know, going, you know, adding to those that I've talked about, and that is the social, economic, or financial barrier, mm -hmm. which is a major issue. Mm -hmm. That immigrants or the BMA are some of the most deprived, low-income earners mm -hmm. who are on, you know, benefits and other things, you know, and therefore um, traveling for have, having developed and you know difficulties, even the means to be able to then access the help can be an issue. Yeah. And therefore my thought will be, how is the system adapting to be able to support such people when, you know, when they are presenting? So that's yeah. just to throw that in there. Then when it comes to the coping mechanisms, as Roshin has said, let us not suffer in silence. Yeah. In terms of the taboo subjects, let us know that mental health problems is common every population to every human being black white asian you know you name it okay and therefore when you begin to having symptoms which you cannot understand or feel mm, this is not the usual me speak to somebody seek help speak to your yeah. gp i think as i said the knowledge base is building up and people want to include everybody, you know. So early seeking of help is so important, okay? The other coping mechanisms is friends and, you know, family, you know. <coughs> I, I believe that having, a, you know, a network of support of people you could confide in, people you could relate to and opening up to them will go a long way to help cushion some of those, you know, uh, difficulties that come with mental ill ill health. You know, yeah. people developing mental ill health tend to isolate themselves and keep themselves to themselves. We we'll want to recommend that, you know, in terms of support, don't suffer in silence. Come out, know that you're not going to be judged. Know that, you know, the subject of mental illness, as I've said, is so common and we all suffer some you know stress times in our lives you know at some point you know uh, uh, you know yeah. in time so that is one the other thing that i want to mention as a coping mechanisms is just you know let's take our minds to covid okay when covid hit and there was a lockdown and everybody you know can't go anywhere people took to the you know to go in for walks you know, <laughs> music go, music you know and and those are really really important yep that the outdoor green spaces and going for work and exercise are so important means of coping with you know mental ill health and even if you have medication at all medication alone is not the solution these you know day-to-day -day things that you know yeah. Or go a long way, you know, to help. Your, you know, sleeping is important. A good night's sleep, you know, having a proper structured sleep pattern or sleep routines can be a good coping mechanism. Uh, you know, hobbies and leisure times, you know, 
one of the things I want to say is when people are going through mental difficulties, the tendency is to want to do nothing. Just yeah. keep yourself to yourself. Yeah. What we recommend in terms of behavior therapy is that that is the wrong thing to do. Even though you might not feel like doing things, learn to push yourself to begin to do something. And the more you push yourself, the more these things you know, go the, you know, away to help boost you know, your energy level, your, 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 your mood, and, and, and all of those yeah. things. You know? yeah. So those are some of the you know, common coping mechanisms that you know, I, I want to recommend to the average day-to-day -day, you know, person. Can I just well, ask you, because, just because you mentioned <laughs> your wife, sorry, what, just a quick word of advice for, for somebody who, is, who has um, someone in their family who is going through menopause. What advice would you give as to how to support just, just very briefly, because you've, you know, obviously lived I, it. I, I think uh, Roshin has mentioned, you know, that oftentimes, yeah, the person at the receiving end is going through a most difficult time, okay? But the impact on the family, the impact on if, you, if the person is married or is in a relationship, the impact on your partner or spouse is hugely important. And I think that... Um, Spouses, family members should not be isolated from understanding or talking about the menopause and knowing that people are not just being difficult or just being snappy and being able to adapt and adjust, you know, to that supportive stance to family members going through those difficulties, you know. So it is knowing that we can suffer or, or endure this together and that you are not alone. I think that would be my biggest, you know, recommendation. Right. Okay. Yeah, Time's running out on us. It's a big conversation. There's so much we could have said or talked about that we didn't share your thoughts with us. If you're listening, ask questions. We will probably have to redirect them to either Rasheen or Dr. Dan, but please engage with us on all platforms. Any final thoughts just before we bring it to a wrap here? It's been great, guys. Season five so far, and we hope you stay with us. We've only got about three, four more episodes to go, but it's been great. Final thoughts, anybody? Rasheen? I suppose for me, it's about making sure that whenever you're starting to have your symptoms, that you educate yourself, you go to your GP and you find a group of women who can support, encourage and empower you. Angela? Yeah, just uh, listen, I couldn't have said it any better, so <laughs> <laughs> just keep raising the volume. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and so we are at the end. Please, please, please remember, we've got our social media platforms. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Instagram. We've also got our website, www.ukpivot.com. And you can find us on YouTube. You know the drill. It will be coming up in the graphics at the bottom. I don't need to call it all out. So guys, it's a wrap. Keep raising the volume and the whisper conversations in our communities. And from us at Unmute Now, see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you, guys. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.